Hey, howdy, Meeps, and we're live with the Meeple Syrup Show. It is episode 59, and the name of the show is You Know What They Say About Guys With Big Feet. What do they say, uh, Tyler? Big shoes. Yeah, big shoes, that's right. <laughs> Tyler, put your teeth back in. Ah, I'm a Sasquatch. Ah. I thought you were a vampire. I thought you were. I thought you were gonna start twinkling with like glitter and stuff. Oh, well, my forehead is shiny. <laughs> it's true. Your forehead is quite shiny. Um, hey, let's. Uh, what have you been? What have you been up to lately, games-wise? I saw you Monday night, but I didn't see you Tuesday because I didn't go. What uh, did you play? I got to see the beginnings of uh, Above and Below. Um, yeah. It looks really good. I liked it. Um, I was. I was just really tired and couldn't get into the game, so someone had to take over for me. Uh, and I have played the heck out of Raiders of the North Sea. Yes, um, you knew your new favorite Shem, game. By Shem Phillips. Uh, people will be getting it on their doorstep any week now. It's on the ocean, apparently. Love that game. I lose it every time, but I love playing it. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah. That's a sign of a good game, you know, when you lose it but still like it. Uh, we're getting uh, questions about uh, the intro. So the lack of the intro for those of you who just tuned in and didn't hear the song and see us dance is mostly because my basement's flooded. Uh, my wife is currently shop vacing the basement while I'm doing the show, and then I'll be back down there to shop back more of it and salvage my games and salvage my Lego and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I didn't have time to do the intro video. So uh, Tyler will now sing and dance for you. Ready? Go. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, lately I've just been playing, I played, oh, today I played Dead Drop, and oh. I played by Jason Katarski, published by Crash Games, which um, I can mention something, maybe in a few weeks you'll be hearing something more about Crash Games and the Bamboozle Brothers joining forces for the power of good. Um, and then I also played a lot of the Paco games from our good friend Chris Handy. I just sent Chris Handy a message tonight about uh, doing some reviews for him. Yeah, did you have you played the Paco game stuff? I've played three of them so far, and I've liked them all. They're totally like up your alley. They're quick, simple, and fun. That's which what ones did you play? Be. I've played Hugh, Fly, and uh, the Shh. That one. Oh, shh, shh yeah. is awesome. I love yes. that game. As, I, I, love, I love word I games. Love word games too. Yeah, and so I think that's a great word game for the amount of cards, and it's beautiful to look at, and it's very smart. Uh, today we played TKO and Fly. Uh, Fly is just a silly game. It's just yeah. silly. Uh, and TKO is actually really fun. Um, TKO is just very much like rock, paper, scissors plus one. But it's it's just funny to try to get in the heads of people. It was very funny because it's two psych profs playing this game, and we're both getting in each other's head. So that was good. Um, other games that I've been playing lately, lots of X-Wing as usual. Um, I'm about to upgrade my guy in the... Oh, if you guys play X-Wing and you haven't played the um, Heroes of the Arturi Cluster by our, my friend Josh Dirksen, download it at DockingBay416.com. The beta version is out, and it is amazing. It's like playing an RPG, but using X-Wing rules. And then you can upgrade your ship and your pilot and stuff like that, so it's very cool. Um, other than that, what's been going on other than that? What reviews do you have coming out? Um, I just got uh, four games in the mail today uh, from Theo Graca uh, from California, I believe is where he's from. Uh, it's a Karma Cubes game where you're rolling dice, collecting sets, uh, gaining and losing points. Um, but there's like five games in the series now, I believe. I had the first one, and he sent me the rest of them, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. Um, there's another two or three um, I'm going to be getting. It's just all jumbled in my brain. I, I'm awful with names, but I know what the pictures of them look like. <laughs> and sometimes that's good enough. And I guess... Uh, I've been teasing about our signing, so Jesse Wright and myself have signed a couple games, and I can tell you guys what they are now, because their contracts are signed. So uh, Jesse and I signed a storytelling game, which is why I'm interested in Above and Below, by the way, a uh, storytelling game called Mythos, set in Cthulhu type of storytelling stuff, where the storytelling actually matters, where it's not just reading stories, it's not a paragraph game. Okay. It's actually, you have to tell the story, and by telling the story, you get action points to do things if you correctly tell the story, or tell the story such that your teammates can say, yes, you did what I wanted you to do. 
uh, and they can't obviously hint what they want you to do. Uh, except in their stories, they can kind of lead into it. It's it's a really neat mechanic. And then back onto that, we licensed the rule set to uh, another IP uh, through Toy Vault. So this is all through Toy Vault. Um, one of our great sponsors for the show, and the other one we're doing is Outlanders. So Outlanders, that Scottish television show with brawny, red-headed guys that girls love, and the assassin. Oh, and hey, look at brawny, red-headed guy who guy, girls love. There you go. <laughs> he has more hair on the top and less hair on the bottom. Anyway, I mean, so that, that's our, our recent one from Jesse and myself, signings, and then uh, we'll hopefully be able to talk about a couple more soon as well. So anyways, uh, why don't we go all the way live and direct to Seattle. We're going to go to SasquatchCon and call Daryl into the show. Bam! Daryl, what's up? Hey, hey, coming to you live from Seattle. So what, 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 do, they say about, what do they say about guys with big shoes? Uh, they have better lives. Uh. No. <laughs> if you can see the guy in the Grand Con shirt at the back, that is our friend Brandon uh, Parsons. Brandon is the rep for Blue Orange Hi. Games. What's your uh, technical job title? Marketing associate. There you go. Market. That's pretty fancy, Brandon. Sounds I didn't like know you were that fancy. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty like good, that. man. Uh, Brandon, we, we already have a question from the audience for Blue Orange. Uh -oh. Um. Let's see where to it go. It's up here somewhere. Ah, uh, where to go? Ah. Uh, uh, Sir Bob had a question. Yes. Okay. So, Brandon, what is the deal with Blue Orange transitioning from more children's games that we, at least that we know you for in North America, to uh -huh. mass market type games in the hot and the hobby games like 1901 Chenier's game? Sure. Um, <laughs> well, I think that they're all related. Um, I mean, we're still making games for kids. We're just making different types and a wider range of them. Um, I mean, one of our first game was Goblet. Um, Goblet is very much an abstract strategy gamers game yep. type of deal. Um, and then when we partnered with um, Blue Orange, what, what's now known as Blue Orange Europe was then Shaktalia. They were much more focused on um, hobby games. Like they had a, they've got a great relationship with Bruno Cathala, yes. and they've been doing a lot the of. Best. <laughs> <laughs> so like one of our first moves towards this more hobby um, market was uh, Battle Sheep, um, right. which at the time was um, under Jacques Dahlia, It was a, a game called Splits. And it was just a two-player game, and then we sort of um, expanded into four players, uh, made it a little bit more appealing to um, the U.S. market with kids by adding the sheep theme and the cute art to it. Um, and the response was great, and um, we're going to continue doing um, games in that um, direction uh, as we go. Excellent. And what's your presence at Sasquatch like? Sa Sasquatch, I'm I'm just here playing games with people. Oh, so you're just you're just like a, a regular Joe. I'm just an average Joe. <laughs> yep, and that's yep. all good. Yeah, we've got a couple of our games here, Doctor Eureka and New York 1901, but um, I'm not I'm not hyping them or anything. I carried those. Yeah. Yes. Hey, T Tyler, have you seen Doctor Eureka? No, I have not. I've oh, what? All over it. Test tubes, oh. we like four of them. And yeah, so... Oh, oh, yes, I have seen it, where you have to get the balls. Yeah, you got to have recipes that you need to fulfill, and yes. you do it by pouring. Yes. And the order I, I, of the puzzle. I can't right? wait to get that game. <laughs> <laughs> so Roberto Fraga is one of yep. my design heroes as well. He's 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 awesome, and I'm so happy to see his stuff out. Whenever I see it, it's like ah, it's such a great idea. Um, we're, we're actually bringing two of his games over next year. So Doctor Eureka's brand new, and then yep. Boom, which was published by Hutch or Hutch or. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, so that that's coming to the states next year. Oh, um, you guys, nice. Like, yeah, Kaboom's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so Kaboom and Dr. Rico, we got two from him, and I'm, I'm really excited about both. Yeah, that's right. Um, also, I just, I just have to give a plug. I finally got to play it, and Suze was the one who taught me it. Uh, I had played a game uh, by Bruno that I was a little disappointed by, just a smidge, which is shocking because he's my favorite designer. Why? Because you, you lost? The follow-up game that I was taught was Longhorn, 
Uh, and I loved it. I love that game. The little cows. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I gotta you get that. Played that before? I never played it. I thought I played it with you at Origins. No. It, oh, it might, no. I played. I played. Uh, uh, Brandon, what's the game where you stack up totem poles? Wakanda. That's Wakanda. it. I played Wakanda with Tiff, but who did I played Longhorns with? Somebody. Not me. Yeah. Maybe Jay. Maybe. No, Jay wasn't at Origins. It was at Origins for sure. Anyway. Another Charles Chevalier coming out next year that I'm not officially talking about yet, but I it's kind of scoop, scoop. It's a worker placement. It's oh, good. nice. Talking about, talking about him, I just got to play Antarctica. Mm. Right. That's, that's designed by him. Very interesting, except for the end. Oh. We found, we found out that there is an end condition where you can get stuck forever. <laughs> and oh. found it. Like, and like frozen in ice, maybe. And then we contacted the designers via Twitter, and the designers are like, yeah, that can happen. <laughs> oh, so you just made the edge case occur. Way to go. Yeah. I blame you. The game just I, stopped. I really, actually, it was me. It was fantastic. I saw it. I was just going to say, it's totally got to be you. Were you playing for a, a strange type of win? It, it made me win by two points. Because yeah, I, figure, I figured as much. That's, that's, that's and you. then I just ran around and started getting points, and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. It was beautiful. Very cool. Hey, Brandon, what's the uh, process for submission for designers out there who want to get games to Blue Orange because they think Blue Orange would be a good fit? Sure. Um, I mean, the best way is to present it at one of the big conventions. Um, so in America, that's Gen Con and New, and New York Toy Fair. Um, and in Europe, we have Essen and um, Cannes, the, the board game festival in Cannes. Right, so... Um, uh, festival did you or something, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do we do have um, like an online send it in submission, but, but I always recommend to people to actually make sure you play it with somebody first. Okay, and why do you recommend playing it with an actual rep from the company? Um, well, because um, I think that you know you got to get people hyped, you got to get people in love with the game, and the best way to do that is to show them why it's good. You know, mm -hmm. like if it's a, a, a spreadsheet or a word document, it's um, it doesn't uh, convey the same joy and passion. Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, I've also found that a lot of game designers are not very good at. Um, Writing about their games. Yeah. Uh, no offense. No, 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 no. it's true. That's good advice. And yeah. you make sure your rules are right. You yeah. make sure people capture the essence, exactly. especially if it's just a couple minutes. Then yeah. maybe you you show the best moment of the game. Yeah, and also um, you can respond to how they're reacting to it. You know, it's a lot better to get feedback and to key in on what's really fun and good about games. Yeah. So yeah. And what is Blue Orange specifically looking for? I, I mean, we used to think of it as more of a, oh, you know, more kids' games type thing, but now that some of the games like Longhorn and 1901 have come out, it's like, oh, sure. is there a new market? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, we are still making kids' games. Yeah. Um, more of a family plus sort of market now, but um, if a kid can't play the game, we don't want to make it. Um, oh, see, that's perfect. That's great to know. Yeah, we, we you, if a kid can't play it, we don't want to make it. Um, we also, uh, you got to be able to explain the game in under five minutes. Mm -hmm. and you got to be able to play it in under an hour. Okay, um, so five-minute ex rules explanation. you got five-minute rule explanation, yes. one hour or under play time, yeah. and little people. And I don't mean little people like me. I mean little young people <laughs> need to be able to play it. Okay. And the big thing that Terry, so Terry's the guy who uh, created Goblet. He's like our creative guy. Yeah. And he needs a wow factor is what he calls it. Something mm -hmm. that makes you say, oh, my God, that's fun. Mm -hmm. um, right. So with Dr. Eureka, uh, it, oh, the wow yeah. factor is obviously. It's pretty the, kinetic. It's obvious. Yeah. It's visual. Um, but it, with, like, New York 1901, it's like, the oh, my God, these are skyscrapers from New York. There's got to be something where you look at it or you play it, and it's like, ooh, I want more. I have a question about 1901. Go yes, sir. Are you guys going to do like a deluxe version where you oh. actually get to place the skyscrapers? Because it's a building about skyscrapers, but it's so two-dimensional. It would be so awesome with big buildings. Hello, Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying a three-dimensional skyscraper would be a good idea. Hmm. 
yeah, yeah, we're thinking about it. I, I, I would be our first Kickstarter probably if if it happens. Um, there's a lot of about it happening. A lot of. Oh, you're muted. I'm no longer muted. So yeah, there's there's interest. There's talk. Um, I, I as a, a personal unofficial, I think it's going to happen. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, I want I, I want it to happen, and if I have any power, it's going to happen. Because literally uh, right now, I'm taking the pieces from my Star Wars Episode One Monopoly because they had the big one. I'm like, oh, you can goof. play That's the hilarious. Piece. We have that too. <laughs> Oh, I should use my big city pieces. That would look good. It did come up in development, um, and for a variety of different reasons, we decided it was not the best move for the first version of the game, but it oh, has... Sure. I'd buy a deluxe uh, version, though. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. It would be a deluxe version, and it would be 3D, and I think it would be very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And Shenye is Canadian, so he's awesome just by default, right? Yeah, just by default. <laughs> uh... On the note of uh, being a polite Canadian, uh, the, ro the room is starting to fill up with more people, so why don't uh, Brendan and I step off, and a couple people can step in Very nice. um, that are in the room. If uh, Tim and Seth, do you want to jump in? Sure. Awesome. Perfect. So we've got uh, Tim Eisner, who is the designer of March of the Ants, coming on the show, and we also have... Seth Jaffe, I believe, who is our liaison with TMG as the developer. He's also the designer of such games as Eminent Domain. Are you going um, robot again? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going robot on you. Um, other games like, oh, I don't know, Island of Trains with Dan Kettner, and he's got a new dexterity game where you throw cards. But it's nice. not it's a contest, so we, we, you know, we'll, t we'll talk yeah. about it. What's I up? did not... Uh, hello. Hi, hello. everybody. Daryl was just asking if I had Suburban Sprawl, the dexterity game, with me, and I, I do not. Why but, would why, why would you not have it with you? What kind of designer are you? Because it's already in the contest. Like, like what am I going to do? I don't know. Maybe test it I, some If I more? play it now, I'll just find something I want to change. It's too late. You know? True, true, true. So what are you guys doing at Sasquatch? I just got here playing games, I hope. Yeah, playing a lot of games. Uh, I'm on my third game now. We're just... Setting up 504, so very excited to check that out and just play one of the worlds and see how that works and check out the meta nature of that. Yeah, very cool. Have you have you seen it before? I have not seen it before. No, that's the first. Okay, time. cool. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it from a designer perspective. It, it's a pretty neat labor of love from uh, from Friedemann, so that's very cool. And Seth, what about you? What have you played? I heard Gold West hit the table. Uh, I did. I was just playing Gold West with my brother-in-law and my girlfriend. Uh, 504 is one I'm also very interested in. I haven't been this excited about a game to try a game in a long time, and I'm kind of hesitant because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to think it's like really fun, but I'm still super interested in trying it and examining it and studying it a little bit and seeing how it comes together. And I'm hoping that you know it'll be fun also, but you know, likely not, likely not all 504 games are superstars, but yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully they're still. Think, I think you have to kind of know that going in. <laughs> yeah, it's I really neat though. And I watched that Game Night episode where they, they played it, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm nervous that I'm just going to, like, be really interested in the game but not really enjoy playing it. You know, that's, that's, that's my... Yeah, it, it's, it's more of a design exercise in my, in, in my mind. And, I mean, talking with Friedemann about it for the last couple of years and playing, testing it with him, it, it was a real labor of love for him to get it done and, and vet every single version and run it through the simulators and things like that. So, I mean, he's done a ton of work. It depends on whether you think it has a soul or not, right? Because it's it's just going to be a combination of rules, random combination of rules. Um, and it's so interesting how he came up with it. He was looking at a, at a kid's book where you kind of flip pages to make characters and things like that mm -hmm. out of it. And then it, he said, what if, what if they were rules? And then, you know, Friedemann's ginormous, crazy brain goes elsewhere with that, and it becomes 504, so it's pretty funny. But it's it's neat. It's neat watching him play it and, and playing it with them. But yeah, I mean, my, my concern as well is that, does it have that fun factor? It's got definitely got that interest factor, and from a designer, you know, it's definitely interesting. Oh, Tyler, you got some questions. Shoot. I, do. I have a question for both of you gentlemen. As designers, when you go to a convention like this, and you both said, oh, I'm really excited to see... Uh, see this game, you know, I've been hearing about it, anticipating it. Um, as designers, do you find yourselves like, oh, I'm so ingrained in making my own games 
I can't enjoy other people's stuff, or or I do like, oh, I love myself, but oh, I can't wait to see what this guy does with this because I had a similar idea and I want to see how he changed it or something. Or I'll leave you both to that. Um, I'm really excited about this convention in specific because there's so many new games. Most a lot when I go to conventions, I'm demoing games I'm working on or testing them out with people. And this one, since there's so many other new games, I'm really excited just to expand my world. And I think every game, even if it's, if it's similar, it's probably not the same as what I'm working on, so I can learn something. And if it is similar, I want to make it a little bit different than that yeah. one. So, so in general, it's just I'm excited to play as many games as possible. And this is a great opportunity to play a ton of new games. Yeah, I feel similarly. Uh, Reiner Kinesia famously doesn't like to play anyone else's games because he doesn't want to be influenced by them. And he's got you know armies of playtesters to let him know if he's you know, doing something that's already been done or whatever. Um, I feel the opposite. I like to play lots of different games because they're fun, and also I can get ideas from them. And uh, in my opinion, you know, putting mechanisms together in a new way, even if they're not new mechanisms, to make a new game experience is just as good, uh, just as fun, and just as valid, I guess, as, as uh, innovating some brand new mechanism no one's thought of before. Um, so this, uh, when I play at conventions, I don't feel like I have to be playing, you know, uh, my own games or anything like that, um, I do sometimes struggle between the spending time playing other games when I could be testing a prototype or something, but I try to um, balance that out. And one thing I really like about Sasquatch is that it's it's not work. It's not Gen Con. I don't have to be, you know, looking at it from a publisher's point of view or whatever. Um, I don't have to be looking at it from a designer's point of view. I can learn the new games. And I was at Essen, but I didn't get to play a whole lot, and so here I get to see all the new stuff and actually play it, have people teach me a game for a change. And uh, and actually hang out and and just play some games. Uh, and that said, I have brought a bag full of prototypes, and I'm hoping <laughs> to get a few of those to the table. Um, but that's because I also enjoy that, right? Not not because it's and, work. But I enjoy it. And with that, you kind of answered the next part of my question: is as designers, do you live in a prototype world, or do you live in a oh hey, I still love to play games? Like, which do you balance between them? What's what's your take on that? For me, it's tough because I like both. And so I, I like to play, and like I said, I like to keep seeing what's out there. Like Tim was saying, I like to you know keep seeing what's being done and what the new technology is. But at the same time, whenever I'm playing a published game, like at home when I have friends over, whenever we're playing a published game, part of me is like, wow, this is time I could spend testing a prototype. <laughs> and it's down the oh, tube, the right? jealousy. It's, it's real. Not, it's real. Yeah, it's not entirely down the tube. So I know. It's, it's fun. And also, and as far as playtesters are concerned, you don't want to burn them out on, on playtesting all the time either. So it's good sometimes to just sit back and play some game that, you know, uh, an old favorite, for example. Yeah, for yeah sure. I agree. I think it's definitely a balance. I mean, when I'm working on a design, I want to be in it a lot, but I think it's really healthy to take a break and also remember why I love playing games so much and why I want to design games. And so going playing some other games, leaving that work and doing more play, but you, it's play, but it's still, like, ruminates and helps your brain develop and like I might play a game and be like oh be thinking about a game I'm working on that's totally unrelated why I'm playing it so it's hard once I'm when I'm in design to like put it on the side but I think it's really healthy and I'm excited to be here to specifically do that yeah. one of the things about 504 the, the dichotomy between being interested in it because of the mechanisms and being enjoy liking to play it because it's fun you know that's that's one of those things like some games are just if you play as a player, you don't worry about the design of it. You know, they're just fun, and you like to play them because they're they whatever they evoke some feeling for you. Um, but if you come in and you play a game from a designer's point of view, um, there's a, a separate kind of fun, a different kind of fun, where you're, uh, even if the game isn't by itself necessarily exciting or fun, you could, as a designer, really enjoy it because you're interested in how they got the mechanisms together or how elegant it is or, or whatever. Uh, and that's what 504 might be like um, because it's going to be tough to keep a theme with all those different combinations. Yes, definitely. It definitely <laughs> seems like a very abstract game of just like, oh, let's put these mechanisms together and right. see what happens. So. so, Tim, tell us about, is Weird City Games, is that your company? That's my company, yeah. I started that about two and a half years ago, and our first game is March of the Ants, which we did a Kickstarter for um, a year and a half ago. It came out in March this year. Um, and then we have another game that I have another game that I put up on Kickstarter uh, in September. It didn't fund, so I'm sort of retooling it, retooling the Kickstarter, and possibly looking for publishers for it to see if that might be a better route. And sort of there's check a guy out. right next to you. 
Yeah, no, I was, was going to try a show. <laughs> so tell us about the experience of failure in Kickstarter. Um, typically, we don't talk about that, but I'd like to hear about that from your, your perspective right now, if you care to share. What happens when you don't fund? What do you do? Um, they, it's, it's, I'm excited to talk about it because it's, uh, it's tough at first, especially in that first moment of realizing that it's not happening and you're like, okay, do I cancel or do I wait it out? Is this going to happen? Do I beg my friends and family to make it happen? Which I decided not to do because that's not really the point of trying to get games out to people. Um, for me, it was demoralizing at first and sort of like took a little time to, you know, adjust my ego and get back onto like, oh, why do I make games? I'm excited still to make them. I have a good game that I like that I made, so it's not like a failure, like I totally failed, the campaign failed. And for me, it made me really like examine my Kickstarter practices and what I was doing and sort of think about it over, you know, like think it through. And I've learned a lot, sort of examined what went wrong and what I could do better and sort of understand Kickstarter as a medium more of like what type of games I should be designing, not specifically for Kickstarter, but which ones might be more successful on Kickstarter and which ones might be better through a traditional publishing route or in other, you know, other methods. So, yeah. so it just so happens that uh, Tasty Mr. Games had a uh, recent Kickstarter that didn't fund, and that was uh, expansion for Kings of Air and Steam, uh, Kings of Air and Steam World Fair. Um, and actually, so it was a little bit surprising to me, and I, I, there's a few factors that I'm sure went into that, and part of which was like 80 projects launched that day or something. Uh, that's one of them, and another might have been that it's just been a long time since the base game came out, and uh, maybe people didn't uh, maybe know about it as much. There's lots of reasons, but the question wasn't the reasons. The question was, what do you do? And mm -hmm. this, this might serve as a good reminder. Uh, people look at, at TMG, and they... And they um, a lot, of, a lot of the small publishers, actually, they, they'll look at a small publisher and they'll think, oh, they're, they're a big publisher, they have games out, and they don't realize how small the publishers are in this industry and how uh, much it, it matters. I, I, you know, some people might say, oh, TMG publishes so many games, why do they need to use Kickstarter? Well, this uh, Kings of Air and Steam World Fair might be a, uh, a reminder of what happens when we don't uh, fund, is the answer is it'll come out eventually, but... We just gotta wait for some money to come in. So I don't, I don't believe we're gonna be re-kickstarting that. We're just gonna, you know, wait until we have some cash flow and then put the game out. And it's kind of too bad for everyone who is antsy for the game and waiting for it. But if enough people weren't antsy for the game and waiting for it, that to pledge the thirty grand or whatever it was that was being asked, it just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, for those who are like, oh, it's gonna happen anyway. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it won't, or it will eventually. But not everyone is just doing this to just, you know, uh, pre-sell the games or whatever. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a big fallacy that, and people just don't understand cash flow. Like really, unless you run a business, you don't know what cash flow is, and you don't understand that you are basically living on borrowed cash flow a lot of times in order to put out your product to make more cash, and that's what Kickstarter is supposed to help with. Um, even big companies can get into cash flow problems, right? And that's usually when big companies go under, is when there are cash flow problems. And so for the small uh, publishers, and Tasty Minstrel, as quote-unquote big as it is, is still relatively small compared to some of the other publishing houses. And so, you know, you guys are still relying a lot on Kickstarter to do things. I know Michael doesn't want to eventually, like everybody would rather not, I'm sure. But that means that you have to have very liquid assets and, and mobile assets as well. And some people might say, well, well, why not just try again or whatever? And the answer is because we've got a lot of stuff coming. Instead of trying again with that Kickstarter, that, you know, keep trying until that works. Instead, we're, you know, any minute now, they're going to be uh, TMG's going to launch a Kickstarter for the reprint of Coliseum, and we'll do that instead, right? So we have. We, it's not like we're not going to use Kickstarter in the meantime. Right. Um, it's you know. As a um, you know, we we attempted to kickstart the expansion. It didn't get the scene that we wanted to. Uh, you know, we're gonna move on to the next thing, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't that Kickstarter's broken. It's that the expansion didn't have the buzz behind it that it needed to get funded, right? Well, that, there you know, the, there's a, a variety of things, and we, we might have done a, um, a subpar job of, of letting people know it was coming, so they didn't know. It could be that. There was just too much demanding attention, too many other projects and things like that. I blame um, Jamie and Scythe. 
Well, so that that didn't happen until after. But yeah, I know, I'm but wondering I though. I'm wondering if if anyone you know launching a, a, a campaign you know while side is is going is going to see problems. But I don't really think that's necessarily the case. A lot of people are. I, I've I've heard a lot of people say, oh no, I don't want to launch a, a Kickstarter against you know Stonemaier Games, or I don't want to launch a Kickstarter when Exploding Kittens is getting all this money. I'm not really sure it works that way. Like I mean, to an extent, any given buyer might have a limited budget, and they're only going to buy one of two things, but I mean, do you not want your game on the shelf next to all the other games because someone might buy the other one? It doesn't it doesn't make sense really to me. Um, so, I mean, there are so many, there's a lot of overlap. But there's so many different people buying games, and someone spending a hundred dollars on Scythe doesn't necessarily mean people aren't going to spend whatever fifty dollars on whatever game you might launch. Um, with uh, this next Kickstarter, the Emperor's Edition of Colosseum, I mean that's kind of a Luxury product in a luxury market, right? It's it's going to be the Emperor's Edition. It's kind of like the uh, Orleans Deluxe was, I think, mm-hmm. where it'll be a fancier version. You know, it's not going to be your average like you know forty fifty dollar game. I'm sure it's going to. I'm not sure what the price is, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be kind of pricey because it's going to be very fancy. Um, you know, people who are going to spend that kind of money on a board game aren't going to you know not do that because they also bought Scythe, you know, recently or you know something like that. I'm not, I think it's not necessarily. An issue. Although Scythe is doing very well, I've actually pledged for it, not because I'm 100% sure I'm going to like playing Scythe, but because I really respect and am, am happy with how Jamie ran his campaign. And, well, not the campaign so much as as ran this game. Um, from the uh, outset, in, in initially I actually was worried that um, when I when I saw him post a year ago that oh I saw some art and it inspired a game and my next big game is going to be this and he hadn't even made the game yet. And he's like, oh yeah, we're gonna do it. It's gonna be on Kickstarter. It's gonna be great. And I'm like, are, you know, are you sure? Like that doesn't that doesn't necessarily that doesn't always pan out. Yeah. Um, so I, I was very skeptical at first, but then he went through. He did the work. He, you know, not only did he make a game that you know fit the description, but he worked on it and he sent it to 750 playtest groups. And you know, did the he did the the work, and I respect that. So I wanted to reward him, if nothing else, by pledging for the game just based on that. And if it sits on my shelf and doesn't get played, I feel like that's you know, still, I'd still rather uh, you know pledge for that instead of not pledging. Right. Um, it so happens I've got Euphoria and I I played it like twice and haven't played it since. But um, I still wouldn't. You know, I'm still like backing this campaign because of the effort more yeah, than. Yeah, and I mean Jamie gives a lot back to the community as well in terms of his um, leadership, for lack of better words, and his insight. So. Well, yeah, he's done he's done great things and and it, and it shows like it shows in. Uh, in the the numbers that that side is, yeah. is breaking right now. Definitely, yeah. He was. I mean, his writing, like his blog, it was very instrumental in me getting my first game launched, and mm-hmm. you know, avoiding a lot of pitfalls and helping me design it. As far as the failure on Kickstarter too, I mean, I think for me it was kind of nice in a way that Kickstarter sometimes shows if a market isn't there, if the product's not exactly formatted as it should be, because in the game, my game Little Pig, it's a pretty fast uh, game that's filler but deep because it's a lot about player interaction and bluffing and deduction, but I wanted to include wooden houses, but that raised the price more, and so maybe a lower price point is going to be a better product. So instead of getting it funded at what it was, maybe it's, you know, in the end going to be better and sell better in retail if I revamp it and shift around what the components are for the final game. And so I think Kickstarter's cool in that way and that it can sort of let you know what the market, at least on Kickstarter, will handle. Right. So that's a a caveat there because the people who buy games on Kickstarter aren't necessarily a reflection of the whole gaming public, but so I'd be really interested to know more about that of like, who the people who back games on Kickstarter are versus people who buy games in retail and like how that reflects they reflect each other. Yeah, it's it, there's definitely a there's definitely a difference. Um, yeah. Like if you look at any Facebook group, like you know the board game um, geek, even just on the uh, just on their Facebook club or whatever their forum, <laughs> there it's a lot of people have never <laughs> used Kickstarter before. Lots of them, and they're like, "This is my first Kickstarter I'm doing. What should I support?" It's very strange to see that, uh, having been on Kickstarter since the inception. Uh, Tyler, yeah, you have a question? Oh, sorry. It, Go ahead. When you're in the comment section, it just feels like everyone uses Kickstarter, and then you don't realize. Just like when you're on PGG, you feel like that that's reflection of everybody who plays games, but it really is not. It's <laughs> no. it's a very small percentage. It's a reflection of people who use BGG. <laughs> Tyler, you have some questions? 
Ah, uh, yes. Uh, two things. One, um, I Coliseum. I got that in a crappy $20 bargain bin trade from somebody last year. I was like, oh my goodness. He's like, oh, I can't stand this game. I said, oh, here's two that you can check out. And I gave him a chance to check them out. I'm like, oh, because it was going for like 120 bucks on eBay. I was like, oh, my goodness. And the second thing, we have a question from the audience. Uh, Sir Bob is wondering if you two gentlemen will be going to Unpub 6. And with that, um, as you had said earlier about going to Essen uh, and different conventions, um, do you find that certain conventions you have to hit for work, certain ones you have to hit for play, or do you find a balance with them? Um, I haven't made it to many of the big conventions, and I feel like I need to do that for work just to sort of meet more people and get more exposed in the industry, especially if I'm going to start uh, trying to get designs to publish through other people. Um, most of the games, I, most of the conventions I go to are for work. Like, I feel like I'm, you know, spending the money to get there, and you usually spend 80% of my time, like, demoing prototypes and sort of working on that. So, um, I think that was the second question. I forget the first question. Unpub six. I'm not sure if I will be there or not. Um, I would. I haven't been to an unpub yet. I'd like to check it out, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make it to that one. Yeah. So I've never been to unpub. Uh, we had an unpub mini here in, in well here in, in my hometown of Tucson, and I also went to one in like San Jose. Um, but I have. I've not been to the main unpub event. I've kind of wanted to. Um, I haven't got any plans to currently. It's kind of across. Uh, way across town, that is, say, country, for me. Um, I'm kind of waiting for, for Daryl to invite me as a guest or something like that, and then I'll go. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, Daryl. Um, so, Daryl. Yeah, yeah, uh, Daryl. But uh, as far as the other uh, events, I've been to some uh, protospiels, and I have enjoyed them. I like that kind of event, um, and I go there. Um, you know, I can scout for games. Uh, often, I, I, I found uh, it's not... Not a whole lot of games that are at the Protospiel events. Uh, it's like Diamond in a Rough. Like occasionally you'll see one that is like done and ready and, and exciting, and sometimes you'll see one that's exciting but not done. But I don't know. There's a lot of uh, a lot of games there, and they're not all uh, that way. And even the ones that are, they aren't necessarily good for audience. So it's it's tough. When I go to Gen Con, that's 100% work basically. Um, it was a lot lighter this year than than last year. Last year was like 14-hour days every day. This year we had a, a little bit more. Um, uh, a little more people and a little. We didn't have our demo room, so it was a little bit better scheduled. Um, and then Essen is largely work as well. Um, got to scout out for games to maybe import. Got a lot of designer meetings with a lot of the UK designers and stuff. Um, but yeah, so the, the Essen and Gen Con are definitely all work. Uh, when I go to the other conventions, I go to some smaller ones. Um, it's kind of for a cross between fun and work. Like I said, I I I like to get my prototypes out. And I, I tend to, if people ask, I'll, I'll demo a TMG game that just came out or whatever. I don't usually go there with that intent, and we don't usually have a booth at these smaller cons. Um, but I, I tend to um, do like 20 or 30% demoing and, and prototypes and stuff, and the rest of the time trying to you know, find games to play or, or more prototypes. And then uh, BTG Con is generally all, all play. Uh, we like to, we're going to have a, TMG has a booth at BTG Con. But I won't have to be in it, so I get to <laughs> play games, and prototypes, and, and all stuff work like that. and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That's, That's all I'm true. Gonna say. That's true. <laughs> Seth, last question before uh, we let you go and bring on Nicholas Trahan and, and Daryl back again. Um, so, Belfort days. What do you think? <laughs> I, was, I uh, fell asleep reading the rules the other night, and then I oh. had to come here. So, so I've not, I've not read the ah, rules. I read the cards, though. I read through all the cards. They sounded, I don't know, interesting without knowing the rules. I mean, I imagine I know some of the rules because you told me, but um, I have not had a chance to go through that and and really understand uh, how it works. But that's okay. If you need if you need anything, just call Jerry myself and we'll uh, get on the get on Skype with you. Um, oh. Brought it down to twenty five dice just for you, man, just for you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to call on Nicholas Trahan and Daryl to come back on the show. Uh, Thanks, say goodbye to Seth. Bye, Seth. Bye, Tim. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you guys in a bit. Oh, and there's Daryl. Uh, and I don't know if you guys actually saw Daryl's name tag. You guys should look at Daryl's name tag. Daryl, show us your name tag again. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs>
some little fluffy clouds. Um, so we're here with Daryl again, and he is live at Sasquatch 2015 in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Daryl, why were you, why are you there? Yeah. Kitchener Waterloo. Yeah, you know it's it's just around the corner, and uh, no. So for anyone who follows our show, uh, they would know. But I'm going to say for anyone who's new that's watching. Um, I actually was recruited to be the mule, and so I <laughs> was the one who carried the 200 games from Essen to here. Uh, I foolishly accepted that that job, um, killed myself lugging them here, but now I'm here, and this, this is the perk, is that once this video is done, I get to spend the rest of the week uh, slash weekend playing games, which I didn't get to do at Essen because I was buying games. So yeah, sure, but yeah. so this is you know, uh, like well, well, Tyler and I get to play games all weekend too at JeffCon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. JeffCon three. I know. <laughs> I I will I will say that I'm actually quite sad to be missing out on JeffCon. Uh, I have I haven't told Jeff this yet, but Bearded Meeple is going to be at the third anniversary of the Game Chamber on Saturday. So. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jeff doesn't watch our show, I don't think. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so that's why I'm here, is to lug games, but then to play games. And actually, I know a fair amount of the game, so I'm hoping to teach a bunch of the games Good. as well, network, meet people. So i got to look for you all weekend. Well, yeah. you know, he knows the games. I know yeah. a few. I know a yeah. few. One game, though, that I haven't actually got to try yet is yours, but it's been high on my list, Villainy with really? Mayfair. That's right, yeah. Uh, why don't you tell um, our viewers a little bit about yourself and how that game came to be? It's Villainy, V-I-L-L? Yeah, like a villain. Villa, yeah, like a villain. Oh, because Daryl typed something else in the feed. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Villainy. Yeah, it's villainy. And it actually came out uh, last, last year. Last year. It was Gen Con Gen release, Con, right? Yeah. I remember right. it being one of the like the big publicized games of Gen Con. Yeah. Yeah, it came out last year, and that's my first that's yeah. the first thing I've done in, in board games. Uh, I come from a video game background. Oh wow. So uh, I spent some time at Nintendo. Yeah. And then uh, switched over to sort of independent contracting when I had right. my first kid. Uh, and then later I had two kids, and it was just too hard to do that, sure. and I switched to board games. Excellent. Um, so are there more games cooking? Yeah, actually, so Mayfair's actually got another. My next one is next year. It comes wow. out. Wow. So that's, that's cool. I'm excited about that one. Are you allowed to mention the name? Well, or? I don't know if they're going to change it. I mean, it's called At the Gates right now, okay. and it's co-op. Excellent. And uh, I really like that one, actually. We know a little bit about how Mayfair is a little quiet for a while. Uh, our good friend Stefan Alexander has King Chocolate just coming out okay. uh, with Mayfair. Uh, real soon, but there was a... a he, he didn't even know what the name change was. We were, we were the ones to inform him of, like, for instance, That's the funny. name change. It was pretty funny. When I, when I signed with Vilnia, they were like, you can tell everybody, right? It doesn't matter. Right. So I assume it's the same. Otherwise... Uh, Larry's, Larry's pretty easygoing. Larry loves us, so he'd be very forgiving. Yeah. Which, oh, I don't know if I told my Larry story. Did I tell my Larry story last week? No. There's another Larry story? Well, no, not as in the Larry story from when he was on our show. Oh. But, uh, Larry actually saved my butt. It was actually quite interesting. Uh, I walked in early one day to pick up games, and I had picked up one game from Lookout and one game from uh, from Mayfair um, at Essen, and I needed to pick up a third game, which I didn't realize like I was supposed to buy all three as a bundle. I had actually bought both games and was already over the price of what all three games were going to cost as a bundle. So I went up to Larry, and I was like, so can I have this game in five bucks back? <laughs> And Larry hooked me up. So <laughs> thanks to Larry. He walked over to Lookout, said, okay, like, just give this guy this game, give him the money, and, you know, look the other way. Like, don't worry about it. So, Very good. Uh, big shout-out to Larry for taking care of things. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yeah, and, and just for people who watch the show regularly um, and and for people who funded us on Kickstarter, uh, just so you know, Daryl went to Essen not on Kickstarter funding. He went there on Sasquatch funding. So that's why he's at Sasquatch right now. So yeah. just to clarify. Uh, Nicholas, let's... Oh. vacation time for this. I'm paying for things. <laughs> you have to take what? Oh, well, this is vacation. I want to see a receipt. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have to pay for, like, my room and for, like, Food and travel, yeah. all that. Yeah, so it's, I don't want to see receipts because it's not off maple syrup. There you go. <laughs> um, and happy anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. How many uh, years? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was yesterday, and it yep. was my my eight year anniversary. It was wonderful. We went up to Vancouver, so it was really. So you celebrated in, in Canada. Awesome. Oh, speaking yeah. of that and Mayfair, did you see the settlers of Canada Tan? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, Canada. Canada? I don't know. It's very funny. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's talk to Nicholas because that's just not about Nicholas at all. Uh, all right. So while while we have a designer here, why don't uh, we uh, throw a few questions his way, and then uh, I can probably um, answer a few questions about Sasquatch after that. We're both okay. noobs to say. Yeah, I've been to Sasquatch for a total of as many minutes as I've been on this show. They sent me down here immediately. So, so you got to you got to pepper them with designer questions, not Sasquatch. Questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have a question from the audience for you, sir. Um, a Christopher Chung, who has played um, your temple, your tower defense game, somewhere else. Um, I guess you could call the the co-op tower defense. Yeah, yeah. What was it? What did it used to be called? It's called at the gates. Has it ever been called anything else? I don't know. Christopher said he, he said it was named something else when I got to play. Maybe. Uh, interesting. Maybe. Christopher Chung, the designer of Lanterns, for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. Wonderful designer. Huh. So what is, the, what, is, what is the theme behind your game? The new one? or The, yeah. or, the, the new, new one. one? The new one is um, you're, you are defending a castle, but it's a little different. You, are, um, you're the, you and the other players are the armory. So you create weapons, and okay. you got a really cool visual hook because you, you basically see, you have a big mat, and you see a weapon in front of you that is kind of really boring and plain, and it's divided into card-shaped sections, and you have a handful of cards that look fancier and also have better dice or more symbols or bonuses on sure. them. And so you cover that weapon with the cards from your hand, so like by when you're, you're, you're visually enhancing it as well as doing the thing. But it's also it's timed. Uh, so basically, all the monsters show up. They they sort of flip and reveal, mm-hmm. and then so there's like four doors to this castle. It goes mm-hmm. into four players. So like everybody's freaking out and trying to decide who should who should build the weapon for for the soldier at each gate, and then build it. And then there's the second phase that's not timed, where you're rolling the dice to figure out whether or not you beat that monster. And there's there's a decision uh, process and who goes first and who goes last. And hmm. you know you want the best. You want a strong guy to go last so you can draw more cards if he. Succeeds. You want the first guy is going to help out the second guy. So it, there's, there's a lot to it. It's really pretty fun, and it's it's been going on a long. I've been developing that for a while now. So cool. It's nice to see that finally getting some love. Excellent. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I've been playing it with so many people, like at Gen Con and and different things around here. So I know a lot of people have seen it in a lot of different stages. It's yeah, very... that's when Christopher said he played it at Gen Con. So that's yeah. I have a question for you, Nicholas, and actually. Question for you on this, Sen, because you just mentioned Velpro, the dice game. Um, it seemed about a year and a half ago that the thing to do was, oh, let's make a dice version of the game. So, because you just said you've been working on this one for quite a while, it's been in the works, and Sen, you're just saying, oh, hey, Velpro dice. Like, how do you guys feel about, oh, dice games? How, uh, how, how is this going to go? Like, are we flooding the market too soon? Should we hold on to it? Uh, what's your take? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So for me, I mean, board games is kind of a learning process for me, and I learned on my last game, Villainy, like, you know, you've got basically dice on one end and no dice on the other end, and, you know, you're like, don't put both, you know, don't put heavy strategy plus dice, you know, in the the mix. So I I didn't really think about it um, from that point. I just kind of designed it as, like, I knew I, I wanted to make a co-op game that diffused the alpha player mm, issue. Nice. That was kind of the design exercise. Yeah. And so it really does that, and, cool. it, and it just happens to be a dice. Well, then I'm looking forward to it. It's more that about, is, that is I cool. do love, I love dice games, and I, I have no problem with people bringing it lots more. I just thought of a question I thought I would ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's probably more of a risk management game, because it's kind of up to you how many, how few dice you want to Try to get away with because you want to save your cards, but you don't want to die. Right, 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 right. Or your resource that you're spending. Right. Plus you have your cards. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I have it. You know, if you want to play it. I would love yeah, to play it. It's, there it's you great. go. That's what happens. That's what happens at Sasquatch. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Daryl, well, what about you and dice? What are your? What well, are your... I mean, I, uh, Tyler knows a little bit why I I've been thinking about dice lately because uh, I've been working on a little side project for 
a, a game I can't publicly talk about yet, but one thing that I've, I've, I've found is I actually have spent probably the last month um, exploring how people have used dice. Uh, anything from micro games and quick games, games like, you know, we, we were even talking before the air about Liar's Dice and how, like, a game like Liar's Dice is actually always, you know, doing a negative loop versus, you know, how can you use dice where it's choice or where it's, you know, um, building uh, anticipation or excitement. You know, we've seen a lot of examples of real-time use of dice. So yeah. I, I think it's fascinating, but what's always uh, true is that dice crave uh, crave to be used. I mean, over and over again, people are curious, what new ways could we use dice? Or even if it's not new, you know, if it's familiar, what could you combine with it? You know, like a good recipe, what new mechanic can you mix with it? Or which way can, you know, a dice component be used? Uh, so I, I think ultimately we're not oversaturating the market. I think people love dice. I know for myself, even just going back to my childhood, like, I loved, as much as it's a poorly designed thing like Risk, I loved, you know, when you rolled dice and you sure. just squash that person with a nice dice fest. So, yeah. um, I think I think it'll always, there's always a connection there. Now, there there is an interesting connection, though, with the Euro or the strategy right. gamer, with, you know, how much is that luck, and I think send for instance, when we were talking off here before, was talking about you know ways to use dice so that it could be about choices. Mm -hmm. And right. so I think there's intelligent ways. I think the perfect example is like Castles of Burgundy, uh, as an example of a dice game that's all about strategy. Um, and there's a variety of other examples yeah. I think. Or Artois uh, games like that, where you're using dice as your workers, Alien Frontiers, yeah. um, very similar in that regard. Not a similar game, but just the idea. Yeah. So I mean, with with dice and games and things like that, I like dice. I love dice. I have I have uh, here. Here's one container I, of dice. I was just trying to show the tiniest dice ever. I actually played Yahtzee with these. With yeah, someone. dude. <laughs> Two yeah. containers from, of dice. Is that from like the the Pirates game? Yeah, I probably no uh, Pirates of Spanish like, Main. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of those too. I'm a bit, <laughs> I used to play 40K a lot, and I always had this bag of all the like random special dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah like the scatter dice and stuff. scatter very far, I would use the smallest dice. because. <laughs> yeah. That like yeah, that. but I think dice can be so fun, and, and just rolling them is such a, it's such a kinetic thing. It's tactile and kinetic. You like seeing them, you like hearing them roll. And so people really like dice. Um, what uh, I mean, Gavin has said this on the show before. Gavin Brown from Rocks of Games uh, has said, you know, the difference between a Euro and a Ameri game is, you know, Euros you generally roll the dice and then make a decision after that based on the results of the dice. Whereas American games you typically make a decision and roll the dice, and that tells you if you're successful or not at your decision. And um, we tend to be on the Euro side when we design, uh, but that doesn't mean that the other way is wrong. It just depends on what type of feeling you're going for and how much the game rides on that. Um, yeah, target audience, you know, feel of game. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you cannot, you cannot get that epic feel of I staved off you for 40 turns hunkered down in Australia with two dice if you don't have that that random factor built in, um, you just, you just, it's impossible to get that type of feeling. Well, maybe not impossible, it's really hard. Uh, Nicholas, I wanted to ask you about your transition from the video game world to the analog game world. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people who are doing that, I know a lot of people who go the other way as well, and so yeah. what made it a decision for you to do that, and what has made it easy, and what has made it hard? Well, um, it was more of a it's just sort of a decision out of necessity for me. I'm, a, I'm an artist and a designer and not a programmer. And so as my spare time to work on these, these video game projects just became less consistent, I felt like it was harder and harder to synchronize with my programmer and like actually get something done. Because there could be times where I would have a week straight to work and then it would be like two months before I'd get another chance to work with him. And that's really hard with video game development because you, you for me because I couldn't push I couldn't push the game forward he's just waiting nothing's happening I mean um, so um, I, I, being on board games I don't need a programmer I can do the mechanics on my own and uh, that 
means that if I'm waiting two weeks, nobody's waiting for me. And a lot of times I can think about it um, without having to... I can, I can be doing something in my head while I'm doing something else, you know. So get a lot done. Go to these kinds of conventions. You can get that playtesting done. And you really need a couple months between anyway. Mm-hmm. You don't need, I don't need to go to the next convention. I'm not ready for that if I've made revisions and stuff like wow. that. So right. it's pretty nice. I was really surprised how easy this industry was or really how approachable mm-hmm. this industry was. Um, it was very 50-50. Like there's some companies, you know, like if, if you want to talk to like, Fantasy Flight. Sure. And you're like, wow. I can't even find your like phone number or anything. Fantasy Flight. And then there's like, there's like Mayfair or Rio Grande. It's sure. like, I'd really like to. And they're like, oh yeah, oh. show up tomorrow at nine yeah. o'clock, and we'd love to. Yeah, it was. So I don't know. I I found it very. It's really fun. It's definitely personable, and it's it's definitely an industry that is, um, trusting and less cutthroat than the video game industry. Mm-hmm. Also, I I think it's less. There's something different about it. Um. It's funny, when I, I posted something on the Meeple Syrup Twitter, like maybe two or three months ago, Daryl, remember when I t- talked about game dev? Uh, mm-hmm. And I just hashtagged it like that. And a bunch of programmer types got on the, 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 yeah. the hashtag and started talking about video game design. And it was great. It was great to have that cross-pollination. But some of them were really antagonistic. Like, I don't think you guys know what game design is. It's like, what? <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, so it, it, it's a, there's a different mentality. Uh, there's a different vibe in a different scene completely. Um, how do you find your skills have translated, though, between the, the industries, Nicholas? Um, I guess, I guess you know, it's, I, I guess it's, they're, they're, they're more similar than you might think, I guess. I mean, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, when I, you know, working on video games, I was more on the art side, and in the user interface, I had some access to design and things like that, but less Less so with like base like getting right into the mechanics, unless it was my own project or somebody had hired me to do that specifically. Um, but I don't know. It's it's fun. It's fun to to do this stuff, and I think I think it's just kind of it's all kind of the same type of person. All of the genres and all the types. So I th- I don't I don't know. That's that's an interesting question, but um, it just seems like all the same skill set to me. I guess it's just a matter of of what I'm of what I'm doing. Speaking of a good question, we have a question in the audience from Beth Sobel. She wants to know what type of game is villainy. Yeah. So, so before you do that, uh, I want you to do it like you're doing your 30-second pitch to a publisher. All right. And I have to go. dust it off because that's it's been a while. <laughs> you, got, you got 30 All seconds, right. bro. Uh, go. Villainy. <laughs> All right. Villainy is a game uh, where you play a uh, sort of a wannabe supervillain starting out in your garage. You got nothing but uh, an evil plan, and uh, that's pretty much it. So you start off in your basement, your mom's basement probably, and it's all about a race with all the other evil villains to be the first evil villain to make it big in the city. Uh, the problem is that Mr. Fantastic Man, who's like an actual real superhero, um, is keeping everybody in check. So you, so it's basically a race for street cred. It's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a card drafting game. Okay. Um, you're, you're you're basically looking at petty crimes and sort of these washed-up um, henchmen that you may or may not want to take on to your team. You give, them, you give them weird tasks, and it's kind of a crazy game where stuff happens, and you, you take it because you need the stats, but then the thing, like the description, is kind of out of your control, and that's actually what makes it fun. You know, you end up with, like, and, and who did the art? I feel it's somebody that's, that I know personally. The art is, that was super awesome, and that was actually probably how I got my, my break with that. I mean, I, it was, uh, I think his name is... Uh, is it Jay Stevens? It is Jay Stevens. That did the art. Yeah. And when I pitched it uh, to Mayfair, um, yeah, Alex sat back and he goes, I know exactly who would do the art for this. He said that was like the first thing. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I didn't know I don't know that they picked him. That's cool. Well, I think it, it was like a game that he, Yeah, it was a game that he uh, he liked and he had an artist on file that he didn't have anything to do with right. him. And he's and you know, at the time I was this is my first game I brought it, I pitched it to a bunch of people and I actually uh, Someone else took it. I think it was Cryptozoic, and uh, uh, yes. a year later it fell through. The guy, the guy ended up leaving, and the whole thing got restarted. And I, the following Gen Con, I went back again. I was like, "Do you remember this game?" He's like, well, "I do," and I still, I still want it. So they took it again, and it, and it ended up going through. So that, I was really long development cycle, and I had already been like in it for like. It started out as a reality TV show game, <laughs> and oh. you were the character on the show. How bizarre. 
Yeah, you were a character on the show, and it was all about these interpersonal relationships where, like, you had to do these random tasks, and you was like almost like the Amazing Race. Right. Like, you had yeah, to, like, yeah. Make oh, a yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, and the people like if you're it didn't work out, you would have some sort of bad blood, and you'd have to like sure. deal with that. And I play tested it with a bunch, and then somebody said, one of one of my one of my more favorite play testers is like, I really want a super villain version of this game. <laughs> nice. And that, that changed everything. Yeah. And I probably would, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really neat. Again, how theme you know informs the mechanic. And just yeah. so you know, I don't know if you know this, Nicholas, but we like you even more now because I, I don't know if you know, but Jay Stevens is from Canada. Jay's from Guelph. Ontario, which is right near mm-hmm. where Daryl and I. Like Thirty minutes from my house. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you now have a Canadian connection, an even closer Canadian connection to maple syrup, which is awesome. Well, you know, I'm from Georgia, Vermont, which is like half an hour Vermont, from Canada. Yeah. Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're, yeah. I mean, close. you're very close to the Quebec border, right? Yeah. Yeah. The French. You know, it's when I moved to Seattle, it was kind of a trip because I never met a Canadian that didn't sound French right. Canadian. <laughs> Maybe like I'm from Canada, I'd be like. No, you're not. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know what, guys? It is 12.01, and I have to go uh, suck water out of my basement. So we're going to close, but Daryl, go ahead and wrap this thing up, buddy. Yeah, well, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in, uh, bearing with some of our technical difficulties. Uh, if uh, if you're in the London area and you have a shop back, come by Sam's house and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, sucking up some water. Uh, I want to mention to people, keep, it, keep an eye on the Twitter. I'll try to take some photos uh, for maple syrup of some of the games I'll be trying. If you have questions about them, let me know, um, and I can kind of get you the word on the street uh, what what games are getting some buzz, what games you know are maybe not. Um, but I do recommend that uh, you just check out, but check out the games you really want to try as well. Uh, for any of our game designer viewers out there, I just uh, want to encourage you to keep working on those designs, and hopefully we'll uh, get to see you soon and get to try some of your games out. So keep making great games, and hopefully we'll get to play them soon. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. No song. Do, do.